This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Yes, indeed it is. And as he just said, my name's Peter Gowers. Welcome to Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. Weekends with Walshy. Let's get straight now to the NT Independent online newspaper and speak with Chris Walsh, the editor. Walshy, how are you? Hey, I'm good, Pete. Good to see you again this week. Good to see you too. And just when we thought that the Northern Territory <laughs> was the only jurisdiction in the country that just had these weird and wacky anomalies that, you know, some might call corrupt, some might call dodgy. I had a conversation this week that I'm still staggered by. As a uh, fully licensed real estate agent, I was informed that in the state, I was going to call it the good state, but it's no longer the good state. In the state of Victoria, if a property is tenanted, leased, rented, and the owner of that property decides that they want to sell it, the tenant can give 14 days notice that they're going to vacate, regardless of how long the lease in place is. They can give 14 days, or they're obligated to give 14 days. No, they can do. If they want to move, they can give 14 days. I I, I was so shocked by that. But this is the same state that's uh, introduced the Airbnb tax. It's introduced a second home tax. I mean, they're basically... Like the Territory, they're bankrupt and uh, they're doing anything they can do to try and rape and pillage to get some of that money back. But I I was staggered by that. So they're essentially saying that landlords and investors, they're they're absolutely worthless and uh, we don't care about them. And if they decide to sell them, the tenant has the right to say, well, I'm going to leave in two weeks. Yeah. And then, but do they find anything else? Because in Darwin, I don't Good think question. anyone would leave, right? Good question. But and, and let's remember this, that how many times have we seen this government up here just word for word take whatever yeah. Labor of Victoria is doing? Whatever that's that's exactly on. what I thought about. Right. And, and I thought, you know, this bloke down there, he, he waited till the day after he was guaranteed of his 250 grand a year pension yeah. And walked out the door, despite having gone in with a pledge of, I will see out my next full term. Yeah. And then just goes, ah, I meant that at the time, but I've changed my mind. And the the state, it, it's bankrupt. Like mm-hmm. morally, yes, but <laughs> financially as well now. Well, they kept voting him in, right? Correct. And, uh, and, you know, maybe they'll be saying that after the, the next election here. Well, you guys keep voting Labor in. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> that, that was the thing. I was like, wow, given that they do take their lead very much uh, from Victoria, this, this NT yeah. government, watch and this. And remember, mess. with little regard to the owners of the properties, uh, I'm thinking the yeah. pet laws. Remember the pet laws? Yes, was, and uh, the vacant should... land tax that they were trying to hit yeah. everybody with yeah, exactly. yeah the pet laws during covid i mean <laughs> yeah it was wild it was just what the hell are you guys doing and then it, i think it was liz trevaskis at abc found that gunner had taken word for word what andrews supposed to devote loving his animals so much his pets that he wanted to pass this legislation let's do it for for whatever the name of his dog was, and, um, and Gunner, yeah, and Gunner had just ripped it off and then inserted insert your dog's name here. <laughs> if he's Very not wild. doing it for the kids, he's doing it for the parents. <laughs> 
right. Well, Chris, another big week in news, and of course, it never gets any bigger than uh, when we have Parliament sitting because it's just one head shaking uh, moment after another. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, and this week was. Well, look, they didn't have much, like, but they still filled the time. You know, it's kind of the favorite yeah. story here is that you know, we don't got much, so we'll just keep talking and then people get in trouble. Like, the more yeah. this government and their ministers talk, the more trouble they get in. And I was thinking that today as Eva Lawler got up. Oh, I could not agree yeah. more. I was like, come on, keep going, keep going. Keep because going. You, you the more you're saying, the stupider you look. <laughs> yeah. This is a minister, of course, that so we put a KFC bucket on her head uh, for a story and a graphic for a story about how yeah. she said, well, the economy's going well here because we're having a new KFC's coming to town. Mm. And we still haven't seen that new KFC. It's supposed no. To it still hasn't happened. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I... I I read all the stories voraciously because I was like, okay, what's going on? Who's going to say what? Yeah, yeah, what next? But then I read hers and I thought, you might, you'd want your time over again if you'd read what you'd actually said. Yeah. But this is how she operates. Look, I, I think it's how they all operate and um, pushed against the wall and confronted with a story that maybe doesn't make sense that they've provided before. They'll lash out, right? Mm. And uh, just tell lies for the sake of telling lies just to get out of, you know, the, the expedient to get out of something is just tell a lie. They don't even think twice about it anymore. Pete. Like it's not even a thing. Like, should I lie about this or should I tell the truth? They just straight go for the lie and don't worry about it. Till yeah. Later. The biggest concern I had about that as I read it was, wasn't so much the, um, the content, but as you guys rightfully said, why was she talking about it anyway? But the more troubling thing for me was this person holds some pretty major portfolios. And I'm th- I, I actually, well, for now. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had that moment of thinking so, do they actually understand what delivering a budget really means? Because it's not just as simple as banging out the figures and not being responsible for them. It's you actually got to right the wrongs. You got to make sure the ship can still float. Yeah, and and you've got to follow those directives that are in place to ensure that. And we go back to the Langelant review and how that wasn't followed. And mm. evil all. I mean, they because they, they said stop hiring people for Christ's sake, stop hiring people. And so they said, oh, a hiring freeze, and then that disappeared. And now I think we're going to have a story up tomorrow about how there's three thousand more public servants than when. They pledged the hiring freeze. The, the new numbers mm-hmm. have come out today. So, um, yeah, it, yeah. And then, and Eva Lawler as the treasurer, like, you know, they just kind of get in this thing where they think, well, well, nobody really cares about the budget or what's going mm-hmm. on with the finances. So we won't say anything. Like, when has Lawler actually come out as treasurer and yeah. said anything? She doesn't. She's because yeah. she's infrastructure minister and education minister. So that's mm-hmm. usually what she talks about, but never as treasurer. She's saying anything yeah, as to debt balloons and all yeah, the other yeah. problems in the economy. I absolutely agree about that. And um, the economy stuff. Now, she's got a couple of other hot potatoes she deals with on a daily basis. Uh, and obviously, you know, when, when she's busy annexing buildings, that's an issue too. But <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Well, well, let's get into the meat and potatoes and let's kick off with the first story because uh, it wasn't just the topic of the first story that interested me here, Chris. 
You'll recall in recent months we've spoken several times about the fact that Territory Labor and Federal Labor, they don't cross paths, yet Federal Labor guy decided, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to make an announcement on behalf of the local guys. Seems and, to know uh, an awful lot about yeah, DNT yeah, business. business. Yeah. And as a result, speculation now mounts over a potential files cabinet reshuffle, Chris. Oh, that's right, Pete. Yeah. Um, and that's, so that's Gosling saying, um, so Luke Gosling, the federal member for Solomon. So we kind of picked up on that, and I see the other media is running with it today. But uh, I heard it the other day. Um, and it was at the end of the interview, he was on mix and he was talking about alcohol policy and crime, of course. And, um, he started saying stuff like, oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what they're doing. It's not the end of the year yet. Change is coming. He said, mm. uh, you know, and then he mentioned something about quote, new leadership within the NT team. And he said, there's some new leadership there. And, uh, I'm like, no, there isn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, he just kind of got ahead of himself here. Yeah. Um, but look, yeah, we then we've talked to multiple sources after that who've uh, told us that the reshuffle is, is scheduled to happen. It was planned to happen on Friday. Now, I'll caveat that, Pete, with this. Uh, one, I guess this will be planned after the fact. So I can't verify. Mm-hmm. 100% here. But what we were laughing about was um, the fact is that if we run this story, does this somehow alter everything? Like, does this files not go ahead with this cabinet reshuffle that she had planned for the simple reason that we beat her to it, that we stole her thunder, <laughs> that we reported it? And I don't know, I wouldn't put it past her, honestly, to delay it a bit and maybe do a couple other changes and do it later. So, you know, but look, we were pretty certain on um, on Wednesday night that, uh, uh, or was it Tuesday night that um, Tuesday night that we that this was going to happen on Friday. We ran the story on Wednesday. Um, yeah, look, a couple of sources telling us this, and it makes sense. Look, this isn't something that just came out of nowhere. You know, there's been talk about this. I think we've talked about it even probably months ago. That will she be doing it? And I think at the time the question was, well, does she even have the authority? within caucus to do this right like mm-hmm. if she goes to move on somebody does that person not strike an alliance with someone else and someone else and that they move on her because it's always been questionable and of course her performance in the past 17 months i mean nobody's applauding that i mean i don't look even even labor members wouldn't say she's done a great job in fact it's to the point where they've canceled their own annual conference that we talked about last week because they don't want to face their members, their rank and file members, and admit to them that, hey, we're not actually labor anymore. We're just mm. a association of individuals who are in for themselves and to cover up the different crimes we commit. You know, they, they, there's nothing even resembling labor here. And of course, we know that part of the reason why they canceled that, other than that, the big kind of bigger picture is that um, the smaller stuff was that the left faction had moved to get rid of files. Now, files was supposed to be the great hope of um, of the left faction because that's where she came from. Gunner was from the right faction. So when she came in, you, you know, the left was thinking, great, we got our girl in there and she's going to do some stuff. And then Bowden's left, though. Bowden's from the left, too. And, uh, uh, and then she starts pursuing, despite saying, I'm going to make my own mark on this role. She then just actively pursues what Michael Gunner had set up. I mean, there's no deviation. 
from the ports here, the Gunner and Elf Leonardi set up when, when they started it in 2016. And so, you know, she's really alienated a lot of labor people, uh, especially in her own electorate. And, you know, you talk about environmental track records and stuff. Gunner's was was pretty bad. And I think Files is just as, just as bad. I mean, she's pushing ahead, you know, when she's evoking Margaret Thatcher down in Canberra, I'm talking about how the territory's not for turning on the middle arm project. It's going to be completely, you know, fired by gas and, and produce, you know, petrochemicals as much as she got everyone to go and delete that, scrub that from the internet. I mean, she just lied and covered up, but she's doing something that like, you know, a lot of labor, I think hardcore labor uh, people don't, approve of. And in fact, they've made that clear when they put forward that other motion saying that we don't want fracking happen, happening and she's just uh, blatantly ignored them. So, you know, we knew that something has to change. Like all of that comes down to the fact that this has been a pretty lackluster, if not a right disaster of a chief ministership at this point. So when she went down to Canberra for the National Press Club, you know, Evoked Thatcher and mixed in a couple of lies about the NT independent and what we do. Um, she then, you know, it was seen as putting a new face on the campaign as we talked about that this was a year out from the election. She was going to show she was in charge, but a labor leader evoking Thatcher is crazy for a lot of labor people. Um, anyway, we knew that something had to change after that. Remember, and then she brought in Michael Gunner's old. Uh, advisor, media advisor, a guy named Gerard Richardson. Oh, uh-huh, yeah. Which was unusual. Um, but she and then she admitted that on air and said, oh, yeah, well, he works for me the same way he worked for Gunner. Now, this guy, incidentally, and we'll get into the other stuff, also was involved in these flights that happened. Uh, and we're not saying he did anything illegal or anything, but Gerard Richardson was on those flights that are currently being investigated by the ICAC. So that's interesting that she'd bring back the same people mm-hmm. that were involved. 2020 election campaign while well, that's under scrutiny and investigation but you know we started to see these things were happening incrementally to kind of refresh or hit the reset button i think it's coming out i'll put it in the column um and now here we are i mean this this looks like this reshuffle will go ahead it'll be 10 months out from the from the general election uh, and 17 months after Files became leader of this scandal-plagued lo- labor government, it has not been able to find much clear air amid an out-of-control crime crisis, a lagging economy, staggering debt, and overall integrity issues with Files and her cabinet colleagues, as we write in the paper. So now, you know, part of that, yeah, was, was Gosling kind of saying that, and he was talking talking about the crime issues and saying frontline people should be listened to after he was told well they're not. And then he said something about a new leadership team. Let's see what the government comes up with. Now that's my favorite line, and it's the headline. Let's see what they come up with here. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's I've got that, no faith. Let's see what they come up with. It's not like it's going to really change anything, right? And we get back to that image, that graphic that we had on this, like. You know, this is a, a ship of fools, clearly. But uh, the idea with this was we were, we were thinking because, you know, anytime you do a reshuffle, right, the opposition's going to come out and they're going to say the line that we hear. Wow, you're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> and um, So I thought, well, let's just beat them. Let's put a Titanic theme thing. And then our graphic guy kind of went in this other direction. where, And then it, it became Gilligan's Island, essentially, 
and uh, you'll see Manus in there in the Gilligan outfit. Flowers <laughs> is the skipper. Now, interestingly enough, too, I looked at that with our graphic guy did, and I said, "Jesus, God, is that uh, is that an albatross around her neck?" <laughs> Rhyme of the ancient mariner here, and uh, well, we'll see what happens because remember that that flying albatross was supposed mm-hmm. to be flying by the end of the year, and not right. looking good. Anyway, that was um, that was a laugh we got to have. I think we got a few comments on that on that image on that graphic that summed everything up pretty good. And um, you know, and that's kind of getting to the point of really what we'll see here. I'm talking to political uh, people involved, saying that. Um, uh, you know, that you, you want to do this to clear the decks uh, before the election. Uh, now, expect this, Pete, and this is some of the stuff we're hearing. Beleaguered police minister Kate Warden, gone. I mean, right, there's no way she can stay in this role. I mean, she's overseen what the police association themselves, the union, has described as a complete crisis in police while also struggling to get a grip on the crime crisis. Uh, which, of course, made national headlines in January after Albanese was forced to attend Alice Springs for crisis talks. Um, now, and this is how it all kind of connects. You can see some failures here. The crime issues in Alice Springs, as we know now, were widely understood to be the result of the removal of the Stronger Futures legislation. Uh, but labor had let that lapse and didn't replace it with anything. Crime skyrocketed. The prime minister had to come to town. Um, now, party insiders have told us that that was Chancey Pake's call, or Chanston Pake, I guess we're being formal now. That's mm, yes. Thing. So Chanston made that call. And right, and remember, they came out and they defended it, saying it's a racist policy. Well, is it? Like, you know, this is something that was working, that was keeping people safe in communities. Uh, yeah, and then they were forced by the prime minister to reinstate the bans when he showed up. But there's there's always that that everybody in caucus knows that it was Chanston Peck who said, uh, "Well, let's do this to racist policy. Let's let it go." And disastrous consequences. But that's all intertwined in with the police minister and the failings that she's had. So expect him to be demoted from attorney general and. Uh, uh, local government minister. And then remember just recently all the flack that was taken in the recent criticism for that delay in sacking the Berkeley Regional Council, despite knowing about dysfunction and chaos since last year, not moving to address that until just recently. And after that video emerged from the mayor down there sitting on the kid. Um, now, I guess the winner, we'll go through winners and losers, but We'll wait for this to happen. I mean, all of this is still kind of speculative at this point, but by the time people hear it, it probably will have already happened. Um, But we can get into it next week some more. But what our people are saying is that expect Joel Bowden to kind of be the big winner. He's finally going to get his crack here. Love it. Yeah. Looks like he'll be on the front bench for the first time. Not sure exactly what he'll get. Uh, but again, you know, when you're looking at factions within the party that would appease the left faction, and uh, we know how upset they are with files. Uh, yeah, now, Brent Potter, if anybody had seen Parliament this week, you know, we had him dancing around again. He, he was asking uh, uh, an inordinate number of questions during question time, the Dorothy Dixers, right? He thinks mm. he's he thinks he's a genius up there. It's hilarious. Um, yeah, so no word on exactly if he's going to get in or not. But remember, he was only he was pre-selected through the captain's pick by Files because his sister-in-law is Files' chief of staff. So you would think that maybe she thinks she can trust him in this. Uh, 
but again, you know, who knows really? Uh, but you know, judging by parliament and what he was, uh, saying and, and the questions he was asking, it looks like maybe that's a possibility though. I mean, he's still new. He still doesn't know anything about politics, but, mm. uh, Anyway, also unclear what might be done with uh, Paul Kirby, business minister Paul Kirby. <laughs> Kirby back on the tools, maybe. Environment minister Lauren Moss and Aboriginal affairs and local decision-making minister Selena Yubo. Uh, as we point out, all of them failed to make any great strides in their portfolios. And if you were to ask any Territorian who any of these people were and what their portfolios are, they would not be able to tell you. So... <laughs> yeah. And local uh, decision-making minister, I, I don't actually, of all the ones I've heard of and made fun of in the past, I don't recall having ever heard about the local decision-making minister. Well, that's the story we'll be talking about next week. Smart Pete kind of came up this week. There was a, uh, the government finally responded. So back in 2016, and I think they ended up doing it in 2018, but Gunnar said, we're going to give communities local decision-making powers. We'll all go back in the communities and they can decide everything. It's been a horrendous failure. This report came out in July said this is terrible like most of the people who are participating in it don't even know how it worked and they <laughs> said that. And so this this report was just scathing and then you had um the government just this week come out and say all right well we'll take some of these recommendations on board it's a failure it is a failure it was to incentivize indigenous communities to um to to, to make their own decisions on how things were happening but they screwed it up just like mm. everything so badly that nobody knew how it was working. The KPIs aren't there. I mean, it's just it, it, nobody knows. So uh, that's why I think you're looking at probably Yubo getting a bit of a demotion in all of this. Uh, and whether she stays in cabinet, I don't know. But uh, then you've got uh, our good friend, as we were talking about, Eva Lawler, um, treasurer, education and infrastructure minister. So could be moved out of some of those portfolios, uh, which are powerful. She's in some of the biggest roles uh, in the NT. Um, now, the speculation around that is if she is moved out, does that mean that she won't seek re-election in August? And there are some people in the party telling us that that's likely, that the way that redistribution is going right now, and she's quite concerned about that, we hear, uh, she may just throw, throw her hands up and say, well, I'm going to retire now, I'm done. Um, but we don't know. She's still all fired up in Parliament telling lies. So uh, we'll see. Um, and of course, remember education, the Australian, uh, that, that, that great series on the crumbling state of the NT's remote education system. And we know that uh, Lawler took a lot of uh, criticism over that and, and didn't handle it either. I mean, she wouldn't even talk to the Australian. She then sat back and went on ABC and said, no, they're just making stuff up and, uh, you know, I don't have to respond to them. And then she made a bunch of stuff. But that's when she just remarkably said, when they said, well, what about education in remote communities? Is that, that not contributing to the ongoing crime crisis that we're dealing with? And she said, well, no, of course not. Those people, you know, in the in remote communities, those teens, they're not coming into the bigger cities to commit crimes. It's like, oh my God, they that's what your own government said. And then, but she ended it like that. They're not coming in to do that. And look, someone else can look up the facts. Well, we did, Eva. 
We did, and they are. And remember, Marilyn Scrimgeour took her to task over that last week, and she said, when you starve the bush of resources and services, they come into town and they commit crimes. That's it. And look, that's another part of this, right? You started this by saying, the federal government, how are they involved? Well, you had Gosling letting it slip that it it sounds like this is going to happen imminently. You've got uh, Scrimjaw last week. Remember, she said there's going to be a fundamental shift in how these anti-territory labor uh, MLA's ministers are doing their jobs. So to me, that sounds like the feds are already in here telling them you're going to do a cabinet reshuffle and we're going to be doing some other things here with you losers as well if you want to continue to get money. And I'm still saying the only way they do that, I mean, the cabinet reshuffle is not going to help. I mean, there's nobody in that caucus, right? The problem with it is, is that you can't move people off the ship and get a whole new bunch. It's just merry-go-round. Yeah, and so yeah, and and look, I think we're we're it's failed anyway. And ten months out from an election, it does smell of desperation. That files knows. I don't know if they've been doing polling. I imagine that they are, and so that this is something. This is the shakeup that she thinks will give her this kind of fresh look. But. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it it just seems like it's coming too little too late. And, uh, yeah, all part of this kind of uh, refresh, this new face on it all. Um, but I don't think Territorians are going to fall for it. It's not like somebody was in the backbench and you're like, wow, that's, that person is so talented. I really want them to come out. Nobody knows what they're doing in there. It's going to be just the same people listening to the same public servants. And that's what's kind of frustrating. Nothing is going to change. Not until the Fed say, it's all good to say, well, you got to change things here. But until they come in and take control, as I said, of the administrative functions, we're not going to see any change. No, and to say you've got, you know, you need to see change is one thing. And it's, you know, we've, we've said this for six years, pretty much. Pretty much since they took over, we said they needed change, but it's got progressively worse. The problem is that there's, there's no great, um, talent gene pool hiding in the wings who who are voted in we know who the people are and uh caution uh to anyone thinking well okay uh let's get rid of this mob and get the other mob in next august is going to be a fascinating time because someone's going to win and someone's going to lose and to the loser oblivion is just around the corner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, look, I think Territorians are going to be the biggest loser on August 25th, the next day, but um, we'll see what happens. Look, 10 months, I guess, is a long time in politics, but uh, with everything else going on, like I said before, I think there's a lot of reasons or a lot of issues that Territorians would have with this current government, and after two terms, you know, they're starting to stink a little bit. True, true. And uh, the performance in uh, Parliament this week was interesting, Chris. Uh, the Files government have refused to declare conflicts of interest as the ICAC Act uh, and the amendments have been passed this week. Yeah, Pete, because, you know, in their minds, this is just how things work. They're in power, therefore they make the rules, even the rules that affect them. And what they've been doing wrong, you know, like that they can protect themselves. And this is a government that changes the law all the time. We, we look at um, lawsuits that were launched that they've just gone and legislated against. I mean, they, they, it, it, just so they couldn't be dragged into court to have their, you know, 
uh, correspondence looked at, anything that might have been obtained through discovery on anything. You know, they would just rather now let's just sue or let's just change the law so that they can't sue. Look, you've had some developers that, that that's happened. Um, um, the stuff around COVID and the policies. Remember, there was a very high-profile barrister who's coming up to argue that, and they just legislated against it and killed the, the legal action. And that was just into whether or not they had done things properly, you know. Um, but this is a government that hides. This is a government that, that not only hides and lies and denies, they also then uh, complete abuse of power. They just change things uh, uh, for their own benefit. And so... And such was the issue, I think, in everybody's mind on Tuesday morning in Parliament when they come out and say, okay, well, here we go. We're going to change the ICAC Act. These amendments that they introduced on August 31st, um, we're now going to pass this. And so, you know, Robin Lamley got up. I think she was the second person to talk on it. And she said, no, like, hold on here, you guys. You guys can't do this. You guys have conflicts of interest. There's some of you that we know are under investigation by the ICAC. How can you come in here and debate this policy and then move to pass this policy? You've got conflicts of interest. If you're under investigation by the ICAC, what are you doing meddling in, um, in the legislation and then and making amendments to the act? Now, the question was, too, that I think was raised, was any, is any of this going to be retrospective? And Files said no. I've been reading it. I, I see that there is stuff like this B, for instance. Remember, they wanted the kinder, gentler ICAC at one point. Um, this is something so mean and stuff. And I think Lawler got to that. And we'll get to that later. But uh, they then said that you can tell your spiritual advisor that you're under investigation. Right. By the ICAC. So previously, you couldn't tell anybody. But now uh, they want to make yeah. this exception that you can tell your spiritual advisor, whoever. You know, but then I was thinking, Michael, what's his name? Oh, and they said, and they said, you know what? And it's it's kind of retrospective. It goes back to any uh, offenses that occurred before this legislation takes effect. So they are retrospectively doing that. And then I thought to myself, what's his whole name? Michael Patrick Francis Gunner. Wow. <laughs> that sounds like a guy who might have a spiritual advisor, might have a priest somewhere nearby that he might yeah. have stuff to. So, look, I'm just saying that as a funny little thing, but they did, but she did say there was nothing retrospective that looks like that is the case. But back to the debate that day on Tuesday, uh, Lamley gets up and just lays into them and says, you know, you, you, you can't do this. Um, she said... Uh, if there is a minister that does have a conflict of interest, they must recuse themselves from this debate. We know that it is highly likely that there's at least one or two ministers that do have a conflict of interest in this way, yet no ministers have declared this to date. We need to show some integrity here today. I think it's more than that. I think when you've got essentially the entire government under investigation, and we know that for the travel work scandal where they allegedly stole $40,000 of taxpayer money to fly around to remote communities during the election campaign for clearly party political purposes. And, you know, that that, that was the whole thing is that we, we went to them and we asked every single member of caucus, are you going to say anything? When did you find out about this? This is what I'm talking about, about this being a, a criminal syndicate more than it is a political party, because they're covering up for each other now. So, you know, really, they all have a conflict of interest and they just, you know, there's issues here. So she said, 
I want to move this motion to suspend debate and uh, for everyone to declare their conflicts of interest and remove themselves from debating the amendments. Now, she couldn't technically do that as an independent for some reason. So she said she had to yellow it across the floor and say, hey, could someone over there show some integrity and put this motion up for me? So uh, Gerard Manley got up, the deputy CLP leader, and he made the motion to suspend uh, debate and called for any labor members with conflicts of interest to remove themselves. Uh, the government, though, used its numbers to defeat the motion 14 to 9. Uh, so, yes, and then they just went back to debating it and pretended that. Now, I think we were talking about this the other day, Pete. It's interesting and telling of who spoke. Yes. And who didn't. Because after that, you've got it now. The other side of that is the 14 to 9 thing, right? So you've now got people, and we see on the record, Chancey Pick was one who voted for... Uh, for who voted to defeat that motion to require them to declare their conflicts. As Turner pointed out, anyone who's under investigation who actually voted that way, maybe sentence should be sent to privileges because they had a conflict even voting to stop declaring the conflict. Correct. So, but to the people who talked, I think we had um, the uh, little guy there, Potter, Brent Potter, the guy with the pepper spray. Um <laughs> Who else was it? It was, uh, so it was Files, uh, Madison, uh, uh, Potter, and I think there was one other member here that'll come up. Um, no, that was actually it. It was just the three of them. They got up and talked. Now, why is a backbencher like Potter getting up and talking about such important legislation? Yeah. Was it because someone else couldn't, you know? Yeah. Well, that's how it felt, Chris, because there was a very, very uh, obvious member who didn't speak, who at the time of these travel rorts was on board the flights. Yes, absolutely. No, look, this is a fact. We've got documents. Chanston Pake was on at least two of those flights. Yeah. And the $40,000. Now, this was in complete violation of the, of the rules of state that candidates cannot use public money for party political purposes, these were flights in his electorate with Gunner, who was the chief minister at the time. I think uh, Chancey was the uh, speaker or something. But it doesn't matter at that point. He's the candidate uh, for his electorate, and he can't be expending uh, taxpayer money for that. So he's definitely part of this investigation. He benefited from what is being investigated right now. Yeah, yeah. He's got and issues. Being the, uh, being the attorney general... Uh, you would be held to a higher account. So you would think. You would think. So his his lack of participation was noted, but at the same point, why was Brett Potter talking? Like, what what possessed him to think he was now the mouthpiece behind this? Well, I know this he's is, big in I know yeah. he's big in the pepper spray space, but I didn't know he's big in this space and the peacock space. And, <laughs> and that guy loves a good peacock. <laughs> but uh and i yeah i would say that it's kind of like the time he came out and announced that they were going to do a review into police resourcing yes. which was another bizarre thing and is it that he thinks because you know Fazel's chief of staff is his sister-in-law that he can do what he wants but remember i said like somebody's got to tell him to pull his head in, and then clearly nobody's done that he's still <laughs> out there so that's why we're speculating well is he getting a cabinet post is he going to be the new police minister 
he seemed at estimates. And this is when his performance was just completely over the top. And it's like, this idiot thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. He told Michael Murphy, he said, no, you don't have to do that. You can do it like this. You don't have to answer that. You can answer it like that. And Murphy just kind of looked at him like, are you seriously telling me how to do my job and what to say? But this guy, he thinks he's a genius and he thinks like he knows more than everyone else. So he's going to be a perfect minister for the file slaver government. He should be a police minister, I guess. They're screwing everything up anyway. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, back into into this debate that then went on um, uh, regarding the amendments to the ICAC Act. Uh, Leo Finocchiaro said the labor government had betrayed the public's trust by not living up to their 2016 election commitment to be open and transparent. When in particular, they shut down a previous motion the CLP brought to hold a public review of the act rather than the private review that led to the amendments. Leah said a robust ICAC is certainly important to the community. It provides trust. When Labor shut down the parliament from debating whether or not we should have an independent review into the act, it sends a signal to territorians that Labor has something to hide. Now, this was a fair point because... They could have done this any number of ways. Now, remember that Gunner, you know, Gunner knows what's happening there. We're reporting this sometime around the same time. He decides, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get my mate Greg Shanahan. And look, we're not saying that Shanahan's done anything wrong here, but this was a guy that Gunner knew. He was a former, and he's qualified, right? He was a former chief executive of the Department of Attorney General and Justice. So Gunner, instead of putting that out and saying, we're going to do this review publicly, he just said, hey, I want you to do to carry out this review and tell us what we should change in the ICAC Act. Now they did this privately, as much as they said they put some stuff out publicly after it was done. The whole um, consultation process, and they may have taken a couple of things from the public, but they didn't release what the submissions were that they received or who they received from. And I would say, just by the other day, listening in Parliament to some of the people in their comments um, that that they had people who've been found to have engaged in misconduct, such as the previous speaker. He's the empiric who got up. I mean, of course, she's going to go through that, but we don't know what she's saying. What has Shanahan taken? Also, you know, you're likely to have senior public servants who found to have been doing something wrong, um, that they've given submissions. And this went back to the kinder, gentler ICAC and stop being so mean and let us talk to our spiritual advisors. Like, who would say that unless somebody's been investigated and then they're writing and saying, well, we don't like how we did that. It hurt our feelings. Mm. I mean, we just didn't know who he was talking about and who he was taking directions from when he came up with these amendments. And some of these amendments, you know, we're still trying to get our heads around all of this. But, you know, there was one there that that files now. And I was telling you the other day, Pete, and some things have changed. And I'm still working on this, trying to find out it shouldn't be this difficult. There was an issue that Landley had raised, and it was around um, whether or not they would be reported, uh, MLAs would be named, and also public servants. Now, in a in a uh, draft submission that they put out in May of this bill, it said the ICAC must not name any person who engages in conduct, you know, less than uh, corrupt conduct. So uh, misconduct. Uh, You know, they have other um, terms for things that are lighter on the scale. They're not quite corrupt conduct, but there are issues there. Now, 
that's pretty serious because, you know, we sent that off to um, A.J. Brown, who's a leading expert on anti-corruption bodies nationally. And he said, this is very weird by national standards, right? And then not in keeping with how a proper ICAG should function. <laughs> yeah, we had it. And, and so, so you know, uh, Lamley brings it up and says, well, this isn't right and you guys shouldn't be doing this. And then they say, oh, no, Robin, you're, you, you've, you've been misinformed. Well, no, she wasn't at the end of the day. It actually says that in that draft submission. And then I was telling you the other day, it looks like they changed it on August 31st when they did the first reading and they introduced the bill. I've since gone and found in the actual act that passed the other day, the wording is still there. Now, on one part, it says any investigation report that goes to the speaker um, will not name uh, anyone other than an MLA who's engaged in less than corrupt conduct. But in another section of that thing, it says that the ICAC must not name any person who has engaged in anything less than that. So there's some there's some difference there. There's all these technicalities and we're not getting the proper answers that we need here. One, you know, the opposition really, I found it interesting as much as they went along with Lamley's motion to get them to recuse themselves if they have conflicts. They didn't bring it up themselves. You know, Finocchiaro uh, got up and spoke, but at no time did she raise this issue of conflicts of interest or even this, this one particular section that, you know, and then they're saying, oh, no, look, we're still looking into that. I think something funny's gone on there. I think, you know, afterwards, the comment from people there was Labor seemed relieved after they finally got this bill passed. So that tells me that, you know, they, they got something out of it. And exactly what that is, I mean, we'll, we're, we're still digging around in that, but I'm telling you that, that, that to change that and then to have it in one section change and then another section not, something's gone on. And, and, and the reason we know this is, and recall this, back in 2017 when I left the NT News, I think a few months later they had a story. And this is just before the ICAC set up in 2018. They had a story that... Um, Probably one of the best political stories they've had since I left because they don't do much hard-hitting political stuff anymore. But it was um, that they had found some documentation, some paperwork by a committee that said that they were trying to exempt politicians from even being investigated by the ICAC. But once that was made public, they changed it. They changed that, and Gunnar said, "Oh, that's not. I didn't know they were trying to do this." <laughs> yeah, right. If you if the NT News hadn't reported that that day. We would have found out later that they don't have to wow. can't be named, and so that's what they tried to do on this too. Is what I'm saying. It looks like they changed the one part, but I'm not sure about the other parts. So we'll look into it. But anytime that these guys who there's a major, this is a major investigation, right? That's going on um, into them, and they think, well, let's go and, and monkey with a few things here and change it, and then we can just say, oh, it's not retrospective. Well, some parts are retrospective, and so. Mm-hmm. What have they got away with here? We keep digging to the best of our ability and, and our resources allow us. Um, but there's issues here, Pete. It certainly sounds like it. But look, at the end of the day, I think um, I know I can rest better at night now, Chris, and I'm sure you can too, because uh, despite the government um, uh, not having anybody declare a conflict of interest and despite them voting against the motion to declare a conflict of interest. Eva Lawler has fixed it all. She's discussed with her parliamentary members. Look, it wasn't a formal meeting, Chris, no. 
as they wandered down the hallway, she just I picture I picture the question being asked a bit like this when she said to them, uh, "Is anybody being investigated?" I feel like it would have been in exasperation. Well, is anyone being investigated? <laughs> the good news is they all said no or didn't say anything, and so no one's being investigated, Chris. Yep, and that's good enough for her to get up in front of Parliament and say, we're not under investigation. Yeah, no, it was it was bizarre, Pete. And, and, and did you say that she would ask that in exasperation? Like, yeah. it seems like everything this woman says these days is in exasperation. Like, she just sounds like she's losing it. Like, and, and the tact that she took today. But look, I think it was good on the CLP to say, because, you know, in that other story that we had, we did have that later in the day. So Turner had got up, Mark Turner. And he said, I'm questioning the timing around this. I'm questioning the integrity involved here. And we should be showing integrity. And, you know, while some of you were under investigation and then Lawler got up, took it upon herself at that time to say, we're not under investigation. And everyone was just silent, like, OK, can you sit down now? Like, we we all know that there's an investigation going on into stealing money. We don't know how many of them are under investigation in relation to just that. But Lawler thought, no, I can say that. And then she sat back down. So the COP today now in question time asked um, Lawler if she could actually back up or verify her claims. Then nobody was in. So she said, well, that's right. I, you know, it's a fact we weren't because I asked my colleagues in passing in the lobby and nobody said anything. So, you know. <laughs> oh man, it's just like, yeah, we're getting a new KFC. So the economy's awesome too. Um <laughs> And that was where we were just, I was just watching this. I was like, keep going. Because then she said something. She said this. She said, and look, I was the first person to be investigated by the ICAC. And I was like, oh, my God, just keep going, please. And then she said that was uh, involving the Anzac Hill School or something in Alice Springs, which I remember that was some really lame report that the Fleming had put out first. And there was nothing in that. But um, I thought, oh, she's. She's saying too much here anyway. And so she just kept going on. And um, she said uh, she then decided that she would give her opinion on the differences between Riches and Ken Fleming, his predecessor, <laughs> which I guess because then she started saying, I've been investigated numerous times for things. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, I, who's a better I investigator? proud of it. <laughs> yeah. And she said that, which was a weird line. She said, as, as an infrastructure minister, you do get investigated around things because people feel disgruntled around tenders and things like that that I have nothing to do with. The, the ICAC would not be investigating her yeah. for tenders. Like, the ICAC knows the difference. She just said that. But, you know, you get investigated. No, she's never been investigated for that because the minister isn't involved unless she was. And Jesus Christ, if she was involved in the tender process and investigated by the ICAC, then clearly there was something there to be looking at if the ICAC determined to investigate her for that. That's very unusual that she would get to that point and say that. She then says, uh, I've been investigated around issues, but I haven't received a letter that has a confidentiality letter. And I think this new commissioner is not doing that because of the amount of stress and anguish it caused from the previous commissioner. And I think he's heard loudly and clearly about that. The people, if you are being investigated, you should be able to talk to your friends and your colleagues around that or whatever. Uh, and I'm sure this commissioner, if he wanted it to be confidential, he would absolutely stress that. 
Yeah, that that was one of the more bizarre statements. And so now we've got uh, an MLA uh, making comments on how the ICAC operates. A minister, no less, saying yeah. that, um, that this is, oh, stress and anguish. And see, this is the kind of stuff that I heard this week, and I'm like, wait, who's saying this? Like, clearly, did she go to this Shanahan, and we didn't know and say, well, you know, there's a lot of stress and anguish that comes with this investigation to be going away. And then she's saying that. It's almost like she's admitting to being involved in this thing and getting these changes to the ICAC Act. Yeah, you know the, the riches isn't going to slap the confidentiality orders on them the way the Fleming did because that really hurt their feelings when Fleming would do that. Like this is inappropriate in so many ways, Pete, and just Correct. so bizarre that she would say that. Um, and then we said, yeah, it was unclear why Lawler was the spokesperson on ICAC investigations and not the chief minister. And I thought at one point the chief minister might even say, oh, "Hey, Eva, that's great. I'll answer it from here." Um, but no, she kept going. Pete. So yeah. she said, uh, you know, she then explained what happened after the calls from independent MLAs and in the opposition to declare any conflicts that Labour had uh, recused themselves before debating those reforms. And then she turns into Foghorn Leghorn here, right? Like, <laughs> there's no corruption I do declare, and I says, and I says to my, to my colleagues. And it was like, what is going on here? But she said this. My colleagues, I said, in passing in the lobby, I said, is anybody being investigated? They said, not that we know of. So, no, we're not being investigated. She yells across the chamber. I'm just even pictured her in a chicken costume in the lobby saying, is anyone being investigated? I do declare. With a cognac and a giant cigar. I says, I says. (laughs) I just... um... I found the ramblings to be bizarre. I found the command of the English language to be limited at best. Limited at best. Yeah. And I thought to myself, well, there's a fine person to be a minister in the Northern Territory government, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is it, right? And, and, and we don't know when she says that. My colleagues, I said, in passing in the lobby, I said, is anybody being investigated? And they said, not that we know uh, it was unclear if Attorney General Chanston Pick or Chief Minister Natasha Files were in the lobby at the time. <laughs> because they know about investigations going on. And like we pointed out, Files appeared uh, during this investigation. We know this. Um, the ICAC investigation had to provide evidence, testimony. Um, and of course, uh, Chanston Pake would have had to. So. Anyway, and then she got back to her crazy ramblings because she hasn't identified anybody there to just yell out something in the lobby. <laughs> she said, yeah. who knows who was there? There could have been anybody there. No, that's right, even we're not. By the same token, as I was um, uh, just picturing in my mind the exasperation in which she asked the question, is anybody being investigated? I also um, imagined the response and it was just sort of like, some stone wall blank faces. People mm. looking at their shoes. Yeah, and not as far as I'm aware. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't help me. Yeah, this is not any conclusive poll. Like this is not uh, evidence of anything. This is this is clearly a woman who's floundering here in her role and had to say something. And you know, it, this reminds me of when um what's his name? Uh, Conlon uh, was a, a, a minister in the CLP government, and he 
went to the U.S., he went to Los Angeles on taxpayer funds to study reality television. And he said he gave, like, a, he did a survey in a pub about uh, how many yeah, people yeah. had heard of the Northern Territory or just even Australia overall or <laughs> what parts of Australia. And he, like, wrote it down. And it's like, and that, that's of no value to anybody you're doing. This is what Mahler did. She did a straw poll in, the, in a pub. Did you feel there was an element of she had this sense that nobody else was talking. So, you know, there's those people that they can't just keep their mouths shut even when yeah. everybody else can. It's yeah. a, I felt it I felt it was like that. It's like no one else was talking and she felt this, okay, well, someone's got to do it, so I'm going to do it regardless of whether it makes any sense or not. I know, and this is why I just didn't understand why no one cut her off at any time chapter. You know, give her the tap out, that's it, you're done. Yeah. Um, but she continued. Uh, she said, I've had to, a number of times, been investigated. Nothing has actually ever come back around that. So, no, I'm not being investigated by a commissioner. And then again, she qualifies it. If I am, he hasn't told me, she said. So, <laughs> which, point out here. Which, why would he? Yeah. And so, uh, we went to him. <laughs> but we point out, number one, look, uh, Lawler's previous inquiries may not actually be concluded as she thinks they are. I've come back around, they found nothing. No, have you been told that? Now, we know Rich has said in March 22, uh, so March of last year, that he had launched that investigation into the government's handling of the unresolved safety issues at TIO Stadium. We know how that's just gone on and gotten crazier and crazier. Um, but which followed, remember, he launched this investigation. He said he was making preliminary inquiries into this. And then all of a sudden, when the ICAC started looking into this, Lawler then gazettes this notice that exempts TIO Stadium from requiring that occupancy permit so people can enter. Um, now, whether or not she put people in danger, we don't know. But, well, and I would say that she did, really, because we knew that it wasn't safe. She knew. She saw engineering reports that it wasn't safe. And that's when he says, I'm investigating how the department's handled this. Now, this is because of how suspicious that looked. So Lawler's very much wrapped up in that, as she likes to say, as the infrastructure minister. Um, now, that investigation, we went to Rich's and said, look, can you, can we confirm this first? Lawler says this about herself. I don't recall seeing it. Maybe you've rolled it into some other investigation, you know, of all the 150 <laughs> buildings or whatever it is. Um he came back and we also said, look, and can you can you verify her wild accusation that, that nobody in labor is being investigated for anything? And of course, he declined to comment on quote investigations or operational matters. Because we know <laughs> that, that are ongoing. Yeah, and like this is the the, the a really stupid thing that happened too. Like on that day, I think the NT News reported that Lamley had said this under parliamentary privilege. She had accused them of like, but, but who exactly did she slander that she made parliamentary privilege to make this claim? And then this, I don't know. Look, I'm sure she's a good kid. The the political reporter they have there, the NT News, has been unable to verify whether there's an investigation. <laughs> Come on, kid. like go back and read stuff. Like it's all out there. I mean, Lamley told everybody. The ABC's reported on it. For some reason, the NT News has, I don't think, to my knowledge, has reported on that travel work scandal and that is being investigated, which is really troubling. But I mean, look, it's state media, so I guess whatever. But you know, we've got another election coming, and like I'm saying, that nobody in that party 
has condemned that, what they did last time. And in fact, given any guarantee, the public money won't be stolen again to use for this next year's campaign. Mm. Um, so, you know, I don't know. That's I just we know that this is going on. We broke that story. Uh, $40,000 in public money was approved by uh, Ryan Neve, Gunner's deputy chief of staff and brother-in-law. Uh, to um, to take these trips that were claimed as ministerial travel, but which other documents showed it coincided with election polling days in remote communities in marginal seats. But that was all a coincidence. Um, but some of those trips, as we said, involved pay uh, against proper protocols to protect money, public money being spent for party political purposes. We've asked him about it. He's refused to comment on the flights. We also said, well, back when we broke this in November 2021, and we said, are you going to reimburse taxpayers? No. And you should also reimburse taxpayers for the little scam he pulled with the fuel card stuff, too. But, um, yeah, Robin Lamley referred this matter to the ICAG. We know that this has gone on. Now, it ramped up earlier this year. We know it's involved interrogations of anti-labor ministers, uh, including the chief minister, political advisors, public servants. And, and highly placed executive public servants and others in connection to the labor government's misuse of taxpayer money for flights. Um, now, remember the last time that we really got into this, it was in July about that investigation. And that was when we revealed that uh, the office of the ICAC staffer, a lawyer, had not disclosed two potential conflicts of interest before working on the major corruption investigation including that he was previously a member and campaigner with the Australian Labour Party, and that he had a personal relationship with a former senior anti-government advisor and witness in the investigation with whom he had discussed a political career on the fifth floor of Parliament before being hired by the office of the ICAC. So we don't know if that's the latest. Like, that's really what we're getting at with this. We know that this has gone on. We know who he's investigated. There's a lot of stuff that we haven't reported about this. We know a lot of stuff about this. When is it going to be done? And and we realized that we may have delayed that because we revealed that there was somebody in there with undisclosed conflicts of interest who was working mm -hmm. the ICAC, who apparently told people he wanted to, including witnesses in that, that he wanted to work for the fifth floor for labor. Um, it may have been delayed by that. But here's the other ridiculous part of all of this beam. We've kind of got into this. There is no, you know, ICAC inspector. Yeah. That, that's, as I sit looking at all of this, that's exactly what I was thinking and obviously read the article regarding it. The fact that that can have been allowed to happen with everything else that's going on. Right. Is it a coincidence now? Yeah. Do you think it's a coincidence or do you think yeah. this is a pattern of behavior? Well, I mean, hey, you know, far be it from me to call it be a conspiracy theorist, but there's a lot about it that makes you think, uh, okay, that can't have happened just sort of because someone forgot to do it. It's, I, I know I, it was I referred to as a government bungle, but it, I reckon it's worse than that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have polite, but. Um, <laughs> But look, Files, yeah, it was looking a little dopey about that. Now, this is when back when they were getting going line by line for the ICAC Act amendments. Um, but this is so interesting. For people who don't know that, though, the inspector has a very important function within the ICAC, and that is to remain separate. So it's not through the ICAC. He's, I think, hired by DCM, the Department of Chief Minister of Government. Uh, 
And, and he's the one who receives complaints uh, about anybody in the ICAC, the ICAC himself or his staff. Um, also, he's in charge of reviewing just how they're operating generally and providing comment on that, that he's satisfied that they're not, you know, doing stuff they shouldn't be doing, that they're running this thing properly and transparently. And uh, we'll come to find out we haven't had a guy in that role since September 27th, so nearly a month. Uh, and this was Bruce McClintock who had done it for five years. Now, this is just the stupidity of this and, and yeah, whatever it is. But, you know, Faust got up and she was saying, well, you know, we've changed the act now. And so the inspector had five-year term. We've changed that now that he can be renewed for another five years. But they didn't pass that before September 27th when McClintock's contract expired. Mm. Now, this is the other weird part about this. At no time, knowing that they weren't going to, because they, they put that legislation up the first reading on August 31st, they knew it couldn't come back until October. At no time did they advertise to find a new inspector or put together an advisory uh, panel to look at, at potential candidates. And in fact, the file said that the other day in Parliament. Well, we've just, we're striking an advisory panel now and we've recently advertised for it. Like, my God, why didn't you do this six months ago? You knew what was going on here. You knew what was coming, that it was coming to an end. This is, this is just, I think, beyond the pale here. I think this is something where we've seen them alter the ICAC Act to do some questionable things there. And we've seen now, this seems to be like, like you know, what the CLP called a blatant mismanagement by the government. But yeah, it could be far worse than that. This could be just a, a concerted effort here to 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 delay. Well, look, we'll get back into what Charlie Phillips, our own former senior advisor, said: delay, deny, uh, you know, accept no responsibility and cover up. This is starting to seem like that. Like they know that. Look. The, the end game for files is we know what the reshuffle and everything is. Let's make sure nothing gets out before the election. We just got to get to the election. Now, does this delay this investigation coming out because if somebody's going to make a complaint? Now, Files has even admitted, she said, oh, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to hire for this position. It's a very specialist position to oversee a, an anti-corruption body. Like, yeah, well, glad you know that now. Why weren't you looking for this months ago? Like, this is just, it's unbelievable, Pete, because look, and the other thing that they did, and I don't know, <laughs> it's just, you got to ask yourself if it's, if it's corruption or incompetence. And I know that, that Rich's answer is, oh, it's just incompetence. My answer is always being, it's a dangerous mix of both. And this is where we see this again. Now, what they've done in the act is, it used to be in the old act, 14 days that Rich's would have. Um, from the time he received the complaint from himself or any of his staff to, to refer that on to the inspector. They've changed that now, that it's three days. He only has three days wow. to refer, but they now don't have an inspector. So, in fact, the ICAC is in violation of the ICAC Act. If you write <laughs> to him tomorrow and you complain about something, he's in violation of the Act because there's no one there. So now file says, file says this, she said, uh, well, you know, um, we'll just treat it like, uh, you know, there's an email to nobody, but he can send an email to inspector at nt.gov. Anyway, 
And then she said, and really, we'll just treat it like the inspector's on leave, you know, and it'll just pile up. And when we get a new inspector, he can go through it. All. Honest to God, she said that, Pete. Wow. Now, we went to Rich's on this one. And we said, look, we know you're not involved in this. I mean, we're still getting over the shock of that goddamn annual report that said there's no widespread corruption, but here's all the widespread corruption. Still getting our head around that. And maybe if there was an inspector, he would have looked at that and said, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're contradicting yourself. But anyway, we went to him and we asked that. And he said, uh, he said that, of course, yeah, recruitment of the inspector has nothing to do with him. It's, quote, entirely a matter for the government. But he added that no temporary solution had been found. So as much as file says, yeah, we just send it there. And it's like some of the inspectors on leave and they deal with it when they come back. Uh, Richard said, in the absence of an inspector, there is no entity to which a complaint can be forwarded. Wow. I mean, it's hard to believe it's actually possible for that to happen. It, nowhere else would it. No. In here. And then and to come at this time when they are under investigation for this very serious major corruption investigation. Oh my God, we're just if anybody had any faith left in the ICAC here, this is now the government clearly interfering with it on two counts this week. Yeah, uh look, I, I don't know. I, I mean, but this is it. They want to delay. They want to deny. Well, we got we got Lawler denying everything. <laughs> delaying, right? And then, you know, the cover-up's coming and they accept no responsibility. Well, they've already mm -hmm. done. So, yeah, I, look, I don't know what's going to happen here now. I think I think what needs to happen is if, if Riches is anywhere close to getting this report done, he's got to get it out and soon, and it better be good. But again, I'm still thinking that, you know, the worst case scenario as he's laid out in his annual report is he's going to say, yeah, they misuse public funds. They stole public money to use for party political purposes, but the rules aren't really strong enough, and we just will educate them about it. This is like, if he does that, everyone, that's it. We're, we're going down with black balloons to the ICAC office. And we'll raise the building ourselves before he has a chance to do it. But, you know, I, I think everybody's confidence is just shattered anyway at this point but to, to have the government i mean they should really be under investigation for all of this for the for the reforms the amendments and then ensuring that, that they didn't have an inspector like that is the one that's just so baffling to me that they couldn't see that coming and yeah. because like, did they make a complaint when his report comes out and if there's no inspector there he can't release his report until there's an inspector there yeah but so now how long and she's saying well we're just developing the panel now and she said it's hard to find these people and they just put out the ad now like mm. this could be this will be and then they shut down i think she said something and i saw that later that it was like november 10th it closes november 10th you're not looking that to that till december when they shut down and they're not back until February. Mm. You know, I'm just thinking about this as I'm talking to you about this, but I just realized that. I mean, he's not going to be able to release anything without the inspector being there to deal with any issues. This is a way to push it back, push it back, hopefully get through the next election before anything comes out. It's, it's wild. I, I, they've hit a whole new low here. They have. And as you said, they'll be looking to uh, head off on holidays before you know it. So, 
no doubt the fuel cards will all be out and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll be watching. Everybody will scatter around the country. Yeah, um, uh, it's just gets worse, man. Yeah, well, well, well. I know you'll be keeping an eye on it, and uh, we'd appreciate the updates as they come through. For sure, Chris. Uh, the NTPA were in the news this week. Uh, talking about police officer, uh, police officer numbers not keeping up with the increase in serious crime. This is a really worrying stat. Yeah, it was because, look, the unions looked at now the annual report now. This is the season for all the annual reports to be coming out of the table of Parliament. Uh, and there have been some interesting ones, and we'll, we'll, you'll see this in the, the, the anti-independent in the coming weeks and days, but... Um, the uh, police put out their annual report. Now, the union representing officers has gone through that, and they're saying that uh, essentially full-time equivalent it shows that there were 1,621 full-time equivalent police officers compared to last year when there were uh, 1,607.5. So they're saying the difference is about 14 police officers. Uh they're saying, look, for the government to expect us as police officers to deal with record levels of crime and violence with just 14 extra officers than we had last year, he said it's farcical. He said that, you know, we can't understand why they're doing why. And, and then he got into the, you know, attrition stuff too, right? I mean, they're losing so many skills. So even when you're looking at something like that, that 14, well, it is up, uh, but you've lost 100, say, of experienced officers, and you've got 14 coming out of the college. Wow, like we're in a big, big world of hurt here uh, for the police force overall and to lose that. So, you know, um, the numbers are all in the story here about uh, uh, how that all shakes down, but uh, it's, it's definitely not what they're saying that they're putting in uh, the government, of course. So he said that, uh, that during the um, calendar year, 126 officers left the force through resignation, retirement, or dismissal. So that's an average of 12.6 officers leaving each month. Uh, the attrition rate, he said, was down slightly from a peak last financial year. Uh, but was still unacceptably high. We can't understand why retaining experienced police officers isn't a priority for the government, Finn said. When you calculate the lengths of service of each officer is resigned or retired, the anti-police force has lost more than 1,000 years' experience since January 1. Wow, that's said, huge. Yeah, he said you can't replace that with a recruit who just walked out of the college. So it's, no, you can't. Instead of paying up to twenty thousand dollars for recruits to relocate to the territory, how about we use that funding to retain the experience we already have? Um, hey, listen, yeah. mate, you stop speaking sense, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got to be. He's got to be assimilating. He's got to be silenced. This guy. It's farcical, he said, the anti-government expects police to deal with record levels of crime, harm, and violence right across the territory, which is 14 additional police officers. Now, that number, and I think Woody, Woody um, cautions in that and does the actual number, if, you know, if you're looking at those um, full-time equivalent police officers, there are other, uh, he said it might be over 60, probably, all in because you got to count the senior sergeants too and sergeants that they could be on the front line. 
Mm. Right. But, um, but really, I mean, this is nowhere near what, what they're saying that they're putting in when you're losing that experience, as, as Finn says. Um, yeah. So he says it's, it's, uh, yeah, placing further pressure on our members to meet demand, which has become an impossible task, let alone engage in proactive policing or targeted action to protect the community. Um, yeah. Look, and then he gets into some of the other issues that the police are going through right now and the morale and all of that. And uh, he says it's the association's view the poor government policy, particularly around alcohol, is a major contributing factor to the current record levels of crime, either adequately resource police or cut crime and violence. That's the choice for government. Mm. Yeah. Pretty clear cut. But yeah, that guy sums it up pretty good. Does. Something needs to be done because uh, it can't keep going like this forever. So, That's again, probably. there's an election coming in 10 months, so maybe... Uh, yeah. Maybe. And, uh, and a guy who is uh, crazy on the pepper spray may be the minister this time next week. So. I love it. <laughs> Things make it even worse for the end. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, but... My God, something's got to change there. And, and yeah, it so does. Much, yeah. Chris, I was really disappointed to see this story. Uh, and maybe I had too much faith that things would get done. But this following story regarding the pledged government safety audits of all late night businesses uh, has effectively turned into a voluntary scheme now. And, and I just think, given what's happened, particularly when a young person got so badly injured not that long ago. This um, this really brought a lot of disappointment when I read this. Yeah, absolutely, Pete. Look, yeah, this is, uh, you know, and, and part of all of this was we go back to March where we've seen some other failings and, you know, where files was last week found by the Auditor General to be misleading the public about this. Well, at the same time, right, she was talking about, and that was around the, the weapons offenses and who would get bail and who wouldn't. The Auditor General found she misled the public on that. But, the, you know, at the same time, she was saying whatever she could, and that was for the proof of that, that just whatever she could to, to hope that things go away. Um, she now, at the time, too, had said that there would be mandatory safety audits, if you recall, of late-night business. Mm. We're going to go around, help them out, see what could be done to keep workers safe, of course, in the aftermath of the Declan Laverty stabbing. Um, now, what we found out this month is that... Uh, well, what we found out just recently is that, uh, no, it's not going to happen anymore. It's been changed. It's now a, a voluntary scheme. So, you know, you keep people safe, but I mean, look, are, are all business owners going to be doing this if they don't have to, or they're afraid it's going to cost money? It seemed like something the government was saying, we're going to do this for free. we got to keep our workers who are working late at night, who, who we know are the victims of these brazen attacks and crimes. Uh, we're going to keep them safe, so we'll do this as the government. But now they've kind of peeled that back. They've rolled that back. And it was actually their, one of their own great unions, the SDA. Um, yeah, Gunner's rolling over in his grave now. <laughs> the SDA is all made safe, come out. And uh, really criticized the government now. He's uh, Josh Peak, uh, reportedly told the NT News. He's the uh, secretary of the Shop Distributors Association. Um, that the government had broken promise to conduct safety audits of late night retail outlets. And um, he said uh, that the audits that were happening now were manifestly inadequate. He said, it quote, signaled to essential workers that their safety was optional. 
Offering one-off voluntary self-assessments to a handful of business is uh, is manifestly inadequate and is not an audit. Physical measures, uh, he said, physical measures such as security screens, secondary exits, panic rooms, and the rest alarms are the best measures employees can take to keep their workers safe. A properly conducted compulsory audit is what is necessary to ensure the workers in exposed locations are adequately protected. He said they'll continue to be at, at risk uh, until these kind of audits are undertaken. Uh, he says retail work is as dangerous as, as it's ever been. The government needs to act now to ensure the safety of our essential workers. Now, the, the other kind of point of this that illustrates everything, and this is just the, the part that I think, I don't know if we're just grown accustomed to the fact that the police are manipulated by the government, you know. Uh, their media unit is being run out of the chief minister's office or department, the chief minister's department, but and that they're not telling us things. Now, this was, uh, I think it was, was it earlier this month, they said that um, it was a, an attack in Karama, the service station, as I recall, and uh, they said a passerby, somebody was just walking by, got a stick in the eye and suffered some injuries. Well, then it was later revealed that this person lost their eye. And then, you know, some other people were saying, well, we heard it's not just a passerby, it's a worker. So finally, it's been confirmed that the police lied to the public about that by saying it was a passerby. It was a guy who was working in a service station. Or it was a frontline worker. Mm. Now, we know that the government, especially when they're failing to do what they had pledged and committed to do to keep those workers safe in the aftermath of the Declan Lavery stabbing, it's clear that they don't want this getting out, that here's another person who will be forever scarred and, 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 you know, have issues now because of working a late night shift. They were stabbed in the eye with a stick. They've lost that eye, but the police did not report it. So did they... Did they were they told by C to C to Basher, who's the crime marketing manager? Now we're not putting that in you call it a pacify. Like they're lying to us on a daily basis here and about serious stuff that we should know about that this is going on. And the fact, like I get back to the fact that they suppress this information means the public's not aware, can't take action, you know, to know that it's escalated to a point where those kids have come in, they might not have a knife, and they get into the wanding thing. Is the wanding thing going to find a stick that yeah. you could use to, to poke out a man's eye? I mean, the, the fact that they're even doing that, uh, I think everybody needs to know that. But they just made it sound like, oh, yeah, he was walking by some guy, and I got a flip with a stick. This is clearly a frontline worker that they attacked and gouged his eye out with a stick, and, and, and they didn't tell anybody about it. The police didn't tell anybody about it. That was a bit that I found most troubling was, you know, this is someone going about their life, doing their job. I guess after the Declan Laverty situation, uh, they were uh, gun shy um, or, you know, they don't want this to become seemingly normalised like it happens all the time. But, you know, these guys in petrol stations who work late at night, 24 hours a day, there's a lot of danger involved, particularly at the moment. and fact that they didn't address that head-on was a disgrace. Yeah, Pete, I, I agree totally. Look, I've done that work before, and uh, where I did it in, in Canada was nowhere, and I thought that was dangerous enough. I can't imagine working a night shift in a yeah. service station in Darwin right now. It's out of no. control. It is. Let's look at the next story, Chris, because these two sort of work hand-in-hand in, hand in some ways. Um, 
Robin Lamley has come out and said that the Files government is letting Alice Springs down uh, by more than $500 million, obviously not investing anywhere near what they should be. No, that's right, Pete. So she's, uh, Robin Lamley, I guess, has crunched the numbers here, and she made a, uh, a motion in Parliament to uh, condemn the government for their failings on Alice Springs. She says that uh, they failed to deliver more than $500 million, half a billion dollars worth of infrastructure projects that it had pledged for the town over the years and when it was first elected in 2016. So the, the motion was brought forward, of course, the CLP hopped on that as well. Um, yeah. and they had their members from Alice Springs saying, yeah, well, Lamley's right here. They haven't done anything for us. Now, what she said is that uh, that it was yeah, just a, a, this chronic underspending on the vast majority of projects in Alice Springs. She said it's had a detriment to the town's economic growth. Um, she says there's been a massive underspend of over $500 million with those projects fully delivered, making up less than $80 million. So they've only put in the 80. Uh, and she says they're less than 15% of the total funding of all projects. This shameful underspend by the NT government is responsible for stifling economic growth in Alice Springs. So here are some of the projects that she pointed out, Pete, and I think we'll be familiar, a lot of us, with uh, with these delays or outright failures to start on projects, including the National Aboriginal Art Gallery. Mm -hmm. Where is that? That's the, the first one I thought of, actually. Yeah, it's taken forever. The National Aboriginal Cultural Center. And that's the other thing on the art gallery, too. It's taken so long that the cost, of course, has gone up. Yeah. up. And, they, and I think they still haven't announced any update on that because they don't want to say what the costs are going to be yeah. now because it's, it'll be astronomical. Um, flood mitigation works. Now, this is something that was important mm -hmm. there, and they talked about for years. Nothing's happening. The CBD revitalization works. The Arumba Industrial State, New Rugby League Ovals, the Red Center Adventure Lasco, and a new home for tourism Central Australia. I didn't know about that. Apparently, that's... Uh, Yep. To build a new, new home required. Yeah, so uh, Lamley said some of these projects have commenced but are not complete. She said the majority of these projects have seen zero progress with no side being turned. Uh, she said in addition to the underspend on infrastructure projects in Alice, uh, in Alice Springs and the wider Central Australia region, uh, has been let down by cuts to government positions in the region, including in health and other areas. So she said the, the NT Labour government has demonstrated a complete lack of commitment to Alice Springs. The facts speak for themselves. CLP supported that. Like I said, Josh Burgoyne, member for Brayland, got up and he said that the government had completely abandoned Alice Springs for the last seven years. He said it showed the content it has for the community. Uh, now, Eva Lawler makes another appearance. Now, this is something where she could get up and talk as the infrastructure minister. Let's talk about NICAC stuff. Anyway, she gets up and says, um, works are ongoing on many projects, working real hard. You'll never find anyone more passionate than her. No, it's the most complicated infrastructure project ever undertaken. The complexity of the complexities down there in Alice, but she's working through it. No, she actually said words to that effect. Um, she said that the works are ongoing, uh, including the art gallery, which she said should start soon. Um, and then this about their passion. Damn right it should, but whether it does or not. Yeah. 
Um, and then her passion just winning out. That's all. We want the emotional truth, not the truth. Absolutely. We want the emotional truth from labor. So she says, we do love Alice Springs. Uh, adding the landlady should quote, be more positive. She said, instead of coming in here and condemning everything we do because we're a labor government, all she wants to do is anti-everything. She did not explain why a number of projects had taken longer than anticipated. This is an emotional thing. It's trying to deflect again. It's trying to say, no, no, no. Just Manly likes to complain about everything just because we're labor. She used to be CLP. No, it sounds to me like this is an independent member representing her community and going to the government saying, why aren't you doing what you told us all you would do? She's right. holding them accountable. That's what she's doing. I think she's being very positive about that. Yeah, and she's not doing it because she's disgruntled. Uh, against you as the Labour government. She's gruntled. She's gruntled. She's gruntled. She's absolutely at her wit's end because you yeah. idiots keep saying you do things that you don't do. And no it's more. So what about we're going to start soon? I mean, cheap. <laughs> that sounds like my 12-year-old who won't get off the couch yeah, to do his soon. homework. You don't want to do it soon. After this. Oh, when this one finishes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have a real hard time down in Alice. So, and look, I think Chancey got up and he was saying some emotional stuff too about how much he loves the area. Really, this is the greatest place in the whole universe. It's down where we are. Okay, why aren't you doing anything to make it better? <laughs> you know? Yeah, why do you keep driving through there with your fuel card going down south <laughs> if you love it that much? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, look, yeah, they're going to, they are going to have a hard time down there at the next mm -hmm. election for sure. So, um, yeah, well, by the sound of it, they probably should too, Chris. Yeah. Yep. Chris, the DPP refuses to comment on failed charges against a reporter along with a long list of other embarrassing cases that they've launched and failed with, Chris? Yeah, our old friend Lloyd Babb. Uh, not an accurate photo of him um, that we used here. He's all clean-shaven and stuff. Now he's got, like, he wears a bucket head. He's got really long hair and a long, straggly beard. It's like he came here to hide from something. You know? So he goes unrecognized, maybe? Yeah, that's it. Let me tell you, I know someone who's very annoyed with all these failed investigations that don't end up hitting a home run. I know Sipowitz wants a result before. You know. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's even worse than that, that we expect them to do something. I mean, I think we're at the point now where we've seen enough of these failed investigations where they just didn't have the evidence. And so yeah. why did they make the call to pursue it? In court, and and you know the latest being this um, this issue, the latest embarrassing prosecutorial failure um, for the office of the DPP is this uh, issue with the nine news reporter Georgie Dickerson. Of course, she was charged with uh, impersonating a police officer, um, which that's just a crazy allegation. Like we said, like when we heard that. Oh, something's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Is she yeah. like a cop car gun up? You know, is she wearing Lucky a uniform? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. That's not what happened at all. It wasn't a Halloween officer get up, was it? <laughs> yeah, no, no. It was. Uh, no, I mean it was bad. I mean they relied on anyway. Judge Elizabeth Morris, Chief Judge Elizabeth Morris, threw this out of court a couple of weeks ago. She said uh, the credibility of the prosecution's star witness was very much in question. And she questioned why the DPP had proceeded with the charges on the grounds of a baseless allegation that Dickerson had lied. 
So that was basically all they had. They had a star witness, right? And so what this all was was the, the reporter goes into this service station. I think it was out in Palmerston. There had been a, uh, the night before, Mark Turner had, had leapt into action. He saw somebody there that he thought was spreading fuel or something. and going to light it on fire. So he tackled him to the ground and arrested him. So the reporter goes there and says, hey, can we get the video? The guy says, yeah, all right, fine. Come back, have a look at the video. And so that happens. And then the police come in a couple of days later and again said, oh, can we get this? And the guy says, oh, I thought the police already got it. And he claims that, you know, and then I think they found out in court, he didn't have a firm grasp of the English language. But, you know, yet he became the star witness. Now, there was no corroborating evidence of anything. In fact, in the video, you can see she walked up and said something. There was no sound on it. Um, and he's like, oh, well, he thought about it. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine. Come back and look at it. Um, but this is it. This is what they charge. I mean, the footage apparently wasn't even that good. The uh, judge said, you know, it was run-of-the-mill footage. But here's what they said. And then they said, well, she lied. And she lied about being a cop so she could get that. Because no, the witness. Nine police station, eh? yeah, Because the witness had said, oh, she said he, she's in deep police. Well, that was never verified, and he didn't understand English all that well, and he was also in a position where he had shown the footage or given it to her against company policy. The yeah. judge found that he was probably, you know, worried about keeping his job. But, you know, and then, like, why the police didn't figure this out? Or the DPP, like, even the police should have dropped it at some point. But then mm -hmm. they give the file to the DPP, and the DPP says, yeah, okay, we got to pursue this, and let's do this. This will be such high profile for us. We're going to get the media for a change. And that's what it really felt like. It felt like they had no case, but the police are so angry at media coverage of their failings that have been going on. Yeah, you know, the executive, of course, and we're talking about the rank and file cops, yeah. the executives. This, this seemed to me to be a bit of payback because, you know... You know the, the evidence here. I mean, they just didn't have it. The the crown said it was not a far cry for somebody who was thorough and keen, which they said this reporter was, and willing to get to the bottom of something to tell a silly little lie to get a story. So they're saying that this yeah. journalist lied to get this run of the mill video that she said, "Oh yeah, I'm a cop, so you got to give it to me." That is yeah. just so crazy that they would even question that and yeah. say that she said that based on one man who didn't understand English very well, had headphones in, uh, you know, and that the judge found was evasive and unreliable. But they go ahead and they pursue no evidence, just this one guy, and they call the reporter a liar. But I, I love what Judge Morris said about this. She said, well, that's a big call to alleged journalists who risk her career for that footage. She said, everyone who wants to be really competent in their job, it's a little step into illegality, she asked the prosecutor. She said, to telling a lie to a criminal offense? Are you a thorough lawyer? Would you tell a lie? <laughs> Like, yeah. oh, my God, the fact yeah. that, like, and look, Tamara Greeley's done some good things before, but that, to not think about that, to be like, yeah. well, let's just say that she's good and she wanted to tell lies to get better. Yeah. I don't even understand where they're coming from on this. And this is why it starts to look like malicious prosecution stuff. There was no evidence to suggest that. So, mm. yeah, throw it out, said, look, um, yeah, he was... Uh, she said the entire prosecution case had essentially come down to three words from an evasive and unreliable witness with no corroborating evidence. And she could not exclude evidence that the witness had misheard what Dickerson said. 
when I consider all the evidence, it's clear at the time of that particular exchange that the witness was distracted. He's busy. He's wearing at least one headphone, and I think he's speaking to Dickerson through plexiglass. Uh, yeah, uh, there was no evidence of a fake badge, no uniform or appearance of authority. She was out in the nine news wagon. You know, <laughs> the, the camera woman was out there waiting for her. Yeah. Anyway, um, Dickerson's currently seeking costs against police for the no doubt. Which is good for her. Yeah. Um, Nine News declined to comment on the entire thing, but we thought, you know, well, no one else is doing that. You know, they do these quick court stories, bang, 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 when they have the reporters in there, but they don't go to the DPB and say, man, you really screwed that up. Like, explain to the public why you did that. So we went and said, explain to the public why you did this. Uh, Lloyd Babb, again, in keeping with his policy, which in fact is in contravention of the office of the DPP's policy to explain. Um, matters of public interest, he just keeps with his policy of not answering and refusing to explain, <laughs> uh, including why his office keeps pursuing cases with flimsy evidence. So we asked him about that. We said, we asked if anyone in the anti-police pressured his office to pursue the charges if he accepted that it appeared to be yet another failed malicious prosecution, whether he personally oversaw the case or tested it before proceeding to trial and whether a review needs to be conducted into the ongoing failures in his office. I think at this point, when you're looking at all these, you got to start on there now. He did not respond, of course, mm. uh, in March 2022. I think he came back and said, I'm not responding, no, to the credit. He got a spokesperson. Yes. He's not responding. Um, we know about the Zach Rolf thing, right? There's been so many of these cases. Yeah. So that if you add them all up, there's serious uh yeah, incompetence in that office or corruption going on in that office because, yeah. and the police and how they're communicating and working together. You had the Zach Rolf issue, of course, we know, finally being investigated, but this was um, after the uh, the uh, Supreme Court murder trial where it was later revealed that the prosecution's use of force expert was unreliable and had noted conflicts of interest who uh, was put on this, the stand despite the previous DPP recommended against using him. Uh, other expert evidence that was used against Rolf to bring to the Supreme Court trial was allegedly tampered with by a detective. That's currently subject of an investigation led by Victoria Police. Then we know in just past March, a year after Rolf was acquitted, uh, former Children's Commissioner Colleen Wynn had abusive office charges dropped by the DPP just days after the trial started, again, citing insufficient evidence. In July, Crown prosecutors also dropped their case against NT Police media advisor Chelsea Rogers for allegedly disclosing confidential information and unlawfully accessing data to gain benefit. They dropped it, though, in the middle of the trial, citing, again, a lack of sufficient evidence. But they go to trial. Like, is anyone in that office of DPP, like, looking at this and saying, oh, did we do this? Like, and then how could they figure it out two days in, three days into a trial? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, God, we don't have enough evidence here. Um, yeah, the anti-police, so we also went to them. They also did not respond to questions, including if anyone had pressured the DPP to pursue the Dickerson case or any of the others with insufficient evidence, whether police were actively engaging in malicious investigations, what all of the failed prosecutions will end up costing taxpayers, uh, and whether anti-police would be reviewing its practices because that yeah. seems like something that should be done. Now, whether or not that'll be part of that uh, 
uh, ongoing resource review that Vince Kelly, the former head of the NTPA, is, is undertaking? I don't think so. I don't think they'd be looking at that, but they should be because what kind of evidence are you giving the DTP? Something's going on there. Just all of these people also seem to have pissed off the executive. From one <laughs> there's, there's something that connects them all here. There's some more coming up. There's others that we don't want to talk about now because they're still before the courts. And we'll let the process happen, but there's certainly a pattern of behavior that's developing here and a very troubling one at that. And that's why we get into we've just asked a question are these malicious investigations, are these malicious prosecutions? And nobody's saying anything. So, mm. that what you will. I reckon in the coming weeks we should uh, maybe talk about or list the cases that they have won in the last couple of years. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, none of the high-profile ones that I recall, but yeah, yeah, we, we'll go through. It. <laughs> yeah, might be a quick chat. There's some other big ones coming up here soon too, Pete. Yeah. So, see yeah. what happens. All right. Speaking of the police, let's stick with them for a minute. And uh, interesting week they've had this week, as a dangerous offender was on the loose, but uh, no one got told about that. And then two days after. Uh, the police had issued a warning to not approach the person. Uh, they then decided to let us know exactly what the person looked like and who they may or may not be. It was very kind of them, but that uh, the government allowed them to finally release the uh, description of the dangerous yeah. offender. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's yes. A, don't approach, but didn't tell what he looked like. Um, I think we'd run a photo of him. We found some background stuff here. I mean, yeah, this this whole thing is still very uh, much live as of Thursday night here is that um, this guy's still on the loose. Now, what had happened? Now, this was like two days after um, the incident happened. Apparently on Sunday, he broke into a house with a gun because that's just a normal thing that happens on a Sunday yeah. afternoon. On a Sunday night. Yeah, so the police then brought in, um, but then he goes to another house in Grama or something, and police brought in the Bearcat. They go in the TRG. Mm. We're going to get this guy. He somehow evades them, but they don't talk about that in the press release and just watch out for this guy. They don't say he evaded arrest. We brought in the Bearcat, the TRG, and he still evaded us more than one guy. Um, because that's embarrassing. I guess I, I don't know, but you, you know, you got to tell people what's going on here. And clearly, if they're going to that much effort, he's done something. Now, that's the other thing they haven't told us exactly what he's done. He went into the house with a gun, but we're hearing that there's other stuff that happened. And in fact, I think he was on radio today, he was it or yesterday, one of the cops. And then, and then Katie Wolf had asked, Well, what did he do? And the guy just said, Oh, it's real serious. <laughs> and Katie's like, all right, I'll move on then. No, yeah. we want to know what he's done. Has he That's stabbed enough, somebody? That's enough. It's very <laughs> Is he running around with a knife? He's got a gun. Is he also does he also have a knife? Did he stab someone? You know, was it a serious did he stab someone he didn't know? Has he got a catapult? That's the question that needs to be asked. <laughs> That's what Files wants to know. The rest of us <laughs> just want to be safe. But um <laughs> But yeah, no, look, there, there's clearly something else that's gone on here, and that's what we're hearing. Um, and then he's attacked somebody he doesn't know. Now he's got a history of doing this. You can read about that in the story that uh, the Woody did up here. But um, yeah, dangerous offender by all accounts. His name, uh, 27-year-old Jermaine Shane Ostrom. I think uh, people remember that name, the last name, um, from years of, uh, of issues around here. 
Um, now, yeah, when they finally put that out, they did describe Austral as being of Aboriginal appearance, 175 centimeters tall, with a solid build and a prominent Sandra tattoo on his right jawline. Mm. He's just got the name Sandra on his oh, yeah. as you do. Yeah. Um, but police chose not to release a photo of him because they figured that description yeah, would be yeah. good enough. And of course, that came out two days after he's already, they've told people don't talk to him if you see him don't approach him yeah um but then they did that and so they're just kind of rolling this out um, and we're not getting the full story which again goes back to the issues that we're having the government appears mm. to be controlling this but at what cost to public safety and um yeah they, they should have been across this uh Anyway, he has been known. He pulled a knife on a tourist at a roadhouse, smashed his way into another roadhouse with two others, stealing more than nine grand worth of goods. This is when he busted out of jail in March 2019 in Alice Springs. So, look, the guy's got a form for being on the run here, and he is very much a dangerous offender, and the police need to give people proper information about this. Mm. Like I said, it's only, I think, a coincidence at this point that, that something bad hasn't happened. Remember, they, they've delayed telling us when rapists are out there and things like that. And I think it's just luck that, that um, somebody hasn't been, someone else hasn't been hurt when the cops have failed to do that. And they can, the more they continue to do this and not tell the public, the greater the chances are that that's going to happen because they mm-hmm. haven't told us about it. Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, well, you've done a great story there and a great service, and let's hope uh, old mate gets locked up and, uh, you know. And maybe they'll tell us if that happens. We, yeah, we you know. Yeah. Let's hope that gets sorted out soon anyway, Chris. And um, just finally on the stories for this episode, Chris, before we get to the job of the week, great news. Or maybe not. Depends how you look at it. Darwin Port will remain in Chinese companies' hands following a very, very thorough review by federal labor, Chris. <laughs> yeah, well, and following a review that the previous government had done through Department of Defense. <laughs> but I think this was through Department of Prime Minister, um, but it had defense. And, uh, not local decision-making? Bodies on it now, but... Yeah, look, and remember that now this is a 2015 deal that's um, now eight years old, so they got 91 years left on that lease now. So oh, yeah. We're getting down there. Um, but, yeah, the federal labor government, who had uh, made a campaign pledge and promised to uh, to do a review, um, they've now come back. They dropped this on the Friday afternoon um, just before, interestingly enough, just before Albanese went to the U.S. where he's been there with sleepy mm. Joe Biden um, having great dinners, I, I hear today on the radio. Um, Correct, yep. And his wife stood in the wrong spot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they, yeah, and then, so they dropped that on Friday saying, look, we've done a review. Uh, there's nothing there that will cause us to either vary or cancel Lambridge's uh, lease of the port. Um, now, you know, it's funny, when, when Albanese was in opposition, he said at the time that the Darwin port, quote, should never have been sold. And then it was, quote, hard to think of an Australian infrastructure asset that is more vital to our national interest. Oh, really? Mm. Yet he didn't want to invest years ago. They were approached. He was on a committee, um, you know, and, and, and our government did go down there and say, you guys got to invest in this port. We can do something with this, but we don't have the money to do it. And right now, the way it looks, nobody wants to be involved. 
um, you got to do something. And then they didn't, and they didn't. And now Albanese is saying how crucial it is, how important. But, mm. you know, he was involved. He was in one of those committees that could have given some money and didn't. Correct. Um, now, that review into the port deal was ordered last year through the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, um, which Labor said would also examine any, quote, impropriety uh, in the lease to Chinese-owned land bridge group. Now, what that was all about was uh, Luke Gosling had come out in August of last year, and he said, and I thought this was kind of odd at the time, but he said that some in Darwin, quote, should be a bit nervous about the outcome of the review and this investigation into the circumstances at the time. Okay. So I thought, okay, well, I know that there's been some funny stuff going on in all of this. So, okay, well, this will be interesting. And he said, Australians deserve to know. And more than that, Australians need to know that there's been a proper process by which a decision was made about the ongoing status of that lease over our port. So, uh, yeah, so he's talking tough, right? Um, And then they've come out and Albanese was talking tough. And then they just dropped this on Friday in the statement indicating the review found the quote, there is a robust regulatory system in place to manage risks to critical infrastructure, including the Port of Darwin, and that existing monitoring mechanisms are sufficient and will be ongoing. As a result, it was not necessary to vary or cancel the lease. And they said that they'll continue monitoring security arrangements around the Port of Darwin. Australians can have confidence that their safety will not be compromised while ensuring that Australia remains a competitive destination for foreign investment. So we were seeing that as that was breaking, and then we saw the uh, the release on that. We're writing it from that, but I thought, oh, nobody's asked this. Will that review be made public? <laughs> so we went to the prime minister's office, and they called us back, and they said, well, no, not at this time. Well, what's that mean, not at this time? And they mm. said, well, just not now, not ever, probably. <laughs> and I said, all right, well, at least you're saying it. But, you know, I still want to know, like, what, what Gosling was going on about, about saying that people should be a bit nervous here and down about the outcome of the review and investigation into the circumstances. That's um, pretty bold to be saying that stuff and then come out and just say, no, everything's fine. Yeah. It's all good. And by the way, look this way because there might be a cabinet reshuffle just down the road. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now, some defense experts, of course, criticized the decision to leave the lease in place, suggesting the review had failed to examine the wider implications of a Chinese company owning the strategic port and how that might change into the future. Um, they said the key problem is this was Australian Defense Association Director Neil James telling the Sydney Morning Herald. The problem is no matter how many safeguards you have to initiate any of them during a time of tensions, you're doing it at the worst possible time. This may be influenced um, uh, by the fact that tensions with China are easing, but that won't last. Americans have been hoping we would bite the bullet and fix the problem. Um, mm-hmm. and that hasn't happened. So, um, And look, I just like to remind people that Michael Gunner was on that committee that recommended the sale of the port, and he was very much in favor of that and going there at that time. Um, but then, you know, and then we had to bring up what he infamously said in January 2021 when asked about China. If you allow people to buy what they need, then they don't invade you. <laughs> and that was yeah. from the you know, Foreign Affairs Office of the Fifth Floor Parliament and Michael Gunner's office. We're still quoting him, Chris. He's been gone for, what, <laughs> 17, 18 months now. 
And I'm sure we'll be continuing to quote him for years to come. I get the feeling we'll see him again sometime soon before the next election. Yeah, me too. Chris, just hold there for me for a moment. And now, it's time for the job files. Thanks to no one in particular. Well, Chris, I know this is the bit that you wait for every week just so you can clear out the veins, get the anger flowing through and have a (laughs) Have a reset because the job files, job of the week for this week, you're going to be surprised, Chris. The Department of Industry, Tourism and Trade are looking for a content producer written. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you'd like that because I certainly had to read it three times to figure out what the hell they were talking about. Writing content. Yeah, okay. So the business daddy. He's looking for a writer, is he? Yeah, well, it looks like it. The uh, position is an administrative office of five level. The remuneration package for this role ranges between $101,050 and $106,110. Yeah. And tourism NT. That's the thing. They don't care that much about writers, do they? They're only paying that much. No, they don't. Hey, you say you do some social media. Well, here's an extra 30 grand in the pocket. Exactly. I'll tell you what's really interesting. that that It came down to two roles in the end, which I was going to do for this episode, but I've decided on this one. But then the other role was a senior communications officer, and that was only paying 130000 And I thought, ooh. What's going on here? Because that's too close to this one financially for it to be considered that senior, but apparently it was. Well, this one only goes to 105,000, right? So, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a lot more. Yeah. Well. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, you got to learn how to write, or you got to be able to write. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you can pick it up with AI these days. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yep. And uh, produce content. And commissioned a high quality written and digital content to showcase the very best of the Northern Territory to global audiences via our owned and paid channels with a focus on the Northern Territory consumer website, email marketing, and social media. Chris, I read this role virtually word for word a couple of weeks ago, and this is not the same role being advertised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I was just thinking back to last week. Is is there any mention of CX in there? CX going on? There's no mention of CX, no. Okay. Is CX, remember that just means consumer experience. Co- correct, yeah. It's just a okay. wonderful way that the government communicates internally. Um, if yeah. you're interested in this role, our friend Alice Bowden is the one to contact. Um, likely to be a relative of Sleeping Ghost. Has... Has no bearing on whether it is or not, but uh, <laughs> she's the global brand and content director. That is a fancy title, Alice. Yeah. Her phone number, give her a call, have a chat about it, 8999 3934, or you can email alice.bowden at nt.gov.au. And I should point out this vacancy may be available in either Alice Springs or uh-huh. Darwin. So, as we said last week, Chris, no, we'll tell you where you're going. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to choose. I think uh, – It should be. 
let's pick a spot for this one, Chris. Um, let's think. say let's say Catherine this week. You want Catherine? Yeah. yeah. Did we say yeah. Tennant last time? Because I, was... I think we said Tennant Creek last time. Yeah, we've already sent in someone to a job down there. So <laughs> let's say Catherine this week, and uh, yeah, don't, let them, don't let them push around, Alice. You tell them where they're going. Exactly. And to pay a writer a hundred grand, I guess maybe that's good. That's all that. I don't know. I still, I still, it just like the fact we have this many jobs and you're absolutely right that it sounds like one you just read recently. Oh, word for word. But I guess, you know, I guess that would explain where we got the two to three thousand extra public servants since the hiring freeze was announced. Who's coming up with this? Who's saying, you know what we need? We need a content creator written. um, Every week. Yeah. We need a content producer every week yeah. is what I see. And like I said, maybe they're just cycling through them, right? Maybe people are coming here and saying, Jesus, you guys, are, I don't want to work with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is the most corrupt outfit I've ever seen. I'm out of here. But I shouldn't, it, shouldn't it put re-advertised if it's the same role? Yeah. Well, then you, they alter it slightly. I'll tell you, that role is not the one that I read two weeks ago, although many of the words in it are the same. And mm-hmm. just for the hard of hearing, uh, just because, you know, I like to waste my breath and say things over and over again. Don't worry about the $110,000 content producer's role written. Spend the money on creating some videos and marketing material and pay for ads because I'll tell you, the KPIs would be zero, zero, zero on what you've actually achieved with this paying people 100000 plus to do these content roles. And if you could name one person that's come to the Territory as a result of anything they've ever done, uh, I'll shut up forever, but I guarantee <laughs> you can't. Yeah, I think you're right, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. And then, then next week, you'll wow us with another one. <laughs> I have no doubt. Mate, have a great week, and I'll catch you uh, for the next week News Bites and then the Weekend Edition. Absolutely. Thanks, people. We'll see you then. That was Chris Walsh from the MT Independent Online Newspaper. Weekends with Walsh, you back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. Have a great week in the meantime, and we'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.